You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Savage Arms. Now, Savage has come out with a new model, and that model is the 110 Ultralight. At under six pounds, the 110 Ultralight is designed to combat elevation and the elements while maintaining the performance of a factory blueprinted Savage 110 action. This comes in a variety of calibers. It has a gray AccuFinish stock with adjustable comb height. This is an awesome rifle, and uh, basically Savage is at it again. These guys have done amazing things in the past, and now they're doing amazing things in the future. If you want to find out more information about the 110 Ultralight, visit SavageArms.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ohio Huntsman Podcast and I wasn't actually on this episode so I was out of town with the family. We, w- we went down to our, our hunting cabin in southeast Ohio to enjoy some time away and so Jacob and Jeff recorded this episode and it's basically a Ohio outdoor news update article or not article episode. So they talk about the discovery of the blue crayfish in Ohio. I think that was like late May that they discovered that species. Um, they talk about the Division of Wildlife Chief Kendra Wecker's charges that were against her about you know about possibly poaching a turkey and and how she was cleared of those charges. And they also talk about House Bill 553, which is. Uh, a bill that would amend the Ohio Revised Code to not require a fur taker permit to hunt or trap coyotes, which initially sounds good, but but there may be some some undesirable consequences or side effects of that. So, kind of talk about that and and, and break that down. So. That's what this one's about. Before we get into that, I need to talk about our sponsors, Mastin's Deer Sense. So Mastin's is a deer scent company, as the name implies. They also have some some predator scents, some enhancer scents. So if you're looking for some of that, they can help you out with that also. But deer scent is a great way this time of year to get deer in front of your camera. And it's a great way to get deer to swing by your stand in the fall. So if you're, if you're interested in scent or trying scent for anything, check out Mastin's. I encourage you to do that. It's a, it's a good company with good scent. We've had good luck using it, and the prices are good. That's one, that's one of my favorite things. You know, you guys hear me talk about that a lot, but that's one of my favorite things about Mastin's is the prices are good. 
So check them out, mastonsdeersense.com or go to ohiohuntsman.com slash sponsors, and you can find all of our sponsor information there. Now, let's get into the conversation with Jacob and Jeff. Welcome to the Ohio Huntsman Podcast, where three brothers, Jason, Jacob, and Jeff, discuss all things hunting in Ohio. Our goal is to be your source for accurate and reliable hunting news and conservation issues in the great state of Ohio, as well as some fun and interesting conversations along the way. This is the Ohio Huntsman Podcast. Are you listening? All right, so today we thought we would just do an update on a couple of outdoor news topics uh, that are in the media right now. Uh, Just present you guys with the information, keep you informed. So the first topic we wanted to talk about, I'm sure most of you guys saw it on social media or in your local newspaper, um, was that the uh, the chief of the Division of Wildlife was uh, being investigated for wildlife violations. Um, I just want to start this off with uh, she has been cleared of any wrongdoing at this point, um, but more information has come out about exactly what um, what she was being accused of and what exactly the situation was. Um, you know, I know there was a lot of speculation on social media and there was a lot of interest in this. Um, but once she was cleared of any wrongdoing, um, there wasn't a whole lot of information put out, you know, by the media because it's no longer all that interesting. It's, you know, someone was accused of a crime and they didn't commit it. So. Right. Right. But what what we've the information that has come out was that uh, she was hunting with her husband um, on private property next to uh, Elm Creek uh, State Park. Um, but the section of the park that is open to uh, hunting, archery only hunting. She was hunting with a shotgun. She harvested a Jake and basically went went home after taking photos she went home um someone on the anonymous uh turning a poacher tip line made a report of someone hunting on that that area that public hunting area in elm creek with a shotgun when it was uh archery only killing a hen and hunting over bait so those were the three accusations that were made. You like you said, she was actually hunting on private next to that area. Yes, not yes. in the area. Yes, she was hunting on private property, which she had permission to hunt on. And the only thing that I found a little, you know, because basically there was a lot of statements of cover up and this and that you know that you know she's not going to be uh convicted of anything because it's going to be a cover up and whatever actually they did a more thorough investigation because of her high uh stance or high rank the the original officer who took the report um 
did contact her immediately and say, like, you know, we had this uh, report and when we ran the license plate number, it came back to yours. Um, but after that point, they turned it over to a, a wildlife investigator. It was no longer, you know, the wildlife officer. They turned it over to a wildlife investigator. And after he did his entire uh, investigation, which included interviewing her, he then turned his findings over, you know, what he had to the Delaware County prosecutor and, you know, allowed him to decide whether or not there was any violations, you know, chargeable violations. You know, so they they did do they did a lot of uh, what's the word I'm looking for checks and balances here. So right, I thought that was good. really promising. And yeah, yeah, I mean, because it's always a concern when the governing body is the one being accused that it would be very easy to push it under the rug or only present the facts that you want presented or whatever. Right. It sounds like they went through the due diligence and did it the right way. Right, right. And uh yeah, they they determined, you know, that it that it was a, a male bird that she harvested, which really you know, they said that you know the, the report was that she killed a hen, which really female birds are legal to to kill in the spring as long as it's bearded the the beard is the determining factor not the gender right um but they they did investigate that and she actually she saved you know the carcass she removed the meat and saved the carcass basically as evidence against herself i mean it was actually evidence exonerating herself that like this was a male bird you know, but most people would, you know, they would remove the meat and discard the rest. And then when it, because also the, the hunting over bait accusation is believed to be to stem from uh, residential bird feeders, not a like a game feeder. She, there was, bird feeders on the property which they believe is what the the person was reporting but she was you know which could loosely be interpreted as bait you know it's not right it's probably not the intention of the law but by the way it's written you know a, a bird feeder could be construed as bait um because it is putting out food for wildlife. Um, but that, that kind of brings another interesting aspect to this, in my opinion, because, you know, you, you don't think about bird feeders as being baiting locations, especially if the turkeys aren't using them. Right. Yeah. You know, and you have to be 50 yards away and, that's 50 yards. I mean, while it's not a huge distance, you could easily be hunting, you know, 
50 yards from a bird feeder, you know, and especially if you're hunting in a more suburban area. Right. And you could be hunting 50 yards from a bird feeder and not even know it's there. You know, my, my neighbor has a bird feeder at the back of their property or whatever. And I don't know it's even there. So that just kind of brings up another aspect of like, you really gotta be cautious about not only what you're doing, but what other people are doing because your actions could be construed as illegal. Right. I mean, like you said, I don't think that's the intent of the law per se, but by the letter of the law. Right. I mean, you, you could definitely be charged and, you know, let the court decide whether, you know, with the way the law is written, you could you could definitely be charged and, you know, then a judge or a jury would have to, you know, more determine whether that was the intent of the law. Right. Another thing this made me think about was often I hear uh, people saying like, with these with a lot of the the wildlife uh officers and um the scientists in the division of wildlife you know i i hear the statement a lot like well that person doesn't even hunt so why you know why do they get to make the decisions or you know things along those lines right you know we've had uh mike tonkovich on a lot and you know, he he no longer, you know, at least in the past couple of years when we've talked to him, he no longer deer hunts. And, you know, this kind of thing might be kind of why is when you you are hunting as someone who works for the ODNR, the the stakes are higher. You know, if you or I make a mistake it's no big deal you know we we pay our fine we apologize whatever and we go on with our lives basically right well as someone who works for the odnr you make a mistake and that could be your livelihood you know i i don't doubt that had she had done these you know was guilty of some wrongdoing that there would have been calls for her resignation you know it just it it really seems like it would take the fun out of it yeah i could definitely see how that would you know yeah when it's your livelihood so i there's just something that kind of popped in my head like you know maybe we should be as as hunters be a little less critical of them not actually participating in the sport that they regulate because you know their their participation sometimes comes at a at a higher toll you know because i'm not saying that they're going to go out there and you know break the laws or that they they do that or that all but it can be easy to make a mistake. 
you know, if you if you don't read the regulations and everything, you you can make mistakes, you know. And right. for you and I, those mistakes don't really matter, you know, in the grand scheme of things. You know, we we kind of we do our time or, you know, we did the crime, we do our time and move on with our lives. Also, if it's truly a mistake, you know, you and I making a mistake, we're probably more likely to get leniency than someone who actually works for the ODNR because if they if someone who works for the ODNR gets leniency it's seen as a cover up you know i heard story a story last year of a guy who uh went to uh a wildlife area and he had plans to uh early goose hunt in the morning and you know once the the geese stopped flying or they got their limits you know they were gonna have lunch and then go dove hunting in the afternoon and not even thinking about it he put his dove loads which were lead in his waterfowl bag along with his you know steel goose loads well then he was stopped by the game warden to check him and he was you know, out waterfowl hunting, and he was in possession of lead loads, which is, you know, a problem. It's a violation. Right. And, I mean, it was clear that he wasn't really trying to break the law. It was just a mistake, you know, because he had, you know, probably one shot or BB, you know, for for the, the goose, and then seven shot for seven and a half shot probably for the doves you know so it was clear that he really wasn't trying to break the law and Mm -hmm. you know so the game warden did give him leniency and basically just let him off with a warning but had that been an odnr employee you know he that game warden may have not had the uh the ability really to to let him off with the warning because it would have been seen as a cover-up right right you know, so but yeah i just thought it was important to to basically share the news of what the situation really was because i saw a lot of media about you know wildlife chief uh, being investigated for, you know, wildlife violations. And, you know, that was all over social media and in all sorts of printed media. But when it came to, oh, well, it was investigated and she didn't do anything wrong, there wasn't nearly as much uh, publicity about that. So you know, felt it was important to kind of get the the full story out there of right. what what really happened. Sounds um, fair. Yeah, yeah. If you're looking for something to supplement your deer, keep your, your deer healthy during the fawning season and during that that critical antler growth period, check out Monster Whitetail Grub. 
They are an Ohio deer feed company and they make a really good product. They've got their signature monster whitetail grub feed, which is a high protein feed. It's got mineral mixed in. So it, it basically has everything you need. You can get just flavored corn if you want that or just straight mineral. I know a lot of guys like to run mineral in the spring, so you can get anything you need from a deer feed standpoint and you're supporting the Ohio economy. So check them out. Go to ohiohuntsman.com sponsors and you can get in touch with them and order some of their stuff and try it for yourself. The next topic that, you know, a little bit of exciting news. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, we talked about Ohio's native brook trout population, you know, an endangered species in Ohio. And we talked about the conservation efforts of all that and uh, kind of the conservation success story that it is. And recently there's been some new exciting news when it comes to wildlife conservation. And that's that a new species of crawfish has been discovered in Ohio. Uh, Jake, have you heard about this? I've heard very little. I mean, I saw it came across some of my social media pages and I just clicked around a little bit. Um, but that was basically about it. Um, I just saw that it is a different species. I mean, it's a distinct species of crawfish that's separate from what you normally find in the streams all over Ohio. Um, and they're saying that it, the little bit I saw basically said that they've been searching for these. They kind of knew they had to be around because they're in all the surrounding states, but they've never found a population in Ohio until just recently. Right, right. They have been searching for them for, I can't remember, like, I think about 45 years. Yeah, you something know, like that. They've been doing studies, trying to see, trying to identify a population. And, you know, prior to this, it was believed that the Ohio River um, was probably a barrier to them getting into the state. Um, that they weren't able to cross the Ohio River. Um, because this these crawfish... Um, they prefer very cool, clear water, um, and they're they're mostly found in far smaller uh, streams than the Ohio River. You know, the Ohio River is far larger than where these are typically found. Uh, so they thought that potentially the Ohio River was a barrier to them getting into the state. Um, which they still believe that the Ohio River is a barrier, but that these populations existed before uh, the, the glaciation of Ohio and before the Ohio River was the Ohio River. You know, we're talking two million years ago. Right. So... You know, I, I don't believe genetic testing has been done, but, you know, right now the working hypothesis is that basically this population, which was found in southeast Ohio, um, Monroe County, 
um, has been isolated from the other populations for almost two million years. So they're probably genetically pretty distinct from other populations. Right. You know, which makes it a lot, you know, makes it exciting. Um, also, just, yes, definitely cool. Right, right. Also, just the fact that there the the habitat still exists for these crawfish um, is exciting, you know, because they they need very cool, clean water. Um, so, yeah, just knowing that that there is some habitat that still exists and that we, you know, didn't kill out the whole population, you know, with deforestation and, you know, stream pollution um, before we ever knew they existed is exciting. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, that's good and exciting news, you know, not necessarily hunting or fishing related, but definitely conservation related. Yeah, I'd be curious, like I said, to kind of see how that develops as they research it more to try to see just how big the population is or how many, you know what I mean? Like how right, far it right. spreads or right. it'd be interesting. And, and yeah, the other probably good news from this is it will lead to additional protected land. You know, uh, having a species that needs protected will usually leads to more protected land, more land for wildlife and, you know, potentially more land for wildlife recreation, you know, so it's, right. It's good all around, you know, and also, you know, finding new and interesting species, uh, tends to bring money to conservation as a whole, you know, when, when there's something in the news, it, it reminds people that we still have wildlife to protect here, you know, and there's still things that, that, that need our, our interest and our money. And, you know, it, it, it helps people outside of the hunting, camping, hiking, fishing community to, to really see the, the good works of the division of wildlife and, uh, the Ohio EPA and right. those, you know. So I think the next topic, unless you had anything else you wanted to talk about, about the blue crayfish. No, that's about it. Oh. I don't, like I said, I didn't research it a ton. I'm yeah. just excited yeah. that it. And I don't, potentially know, we didn't even goes. necessarily mention this. I don't, that, that these crayfish are blue. So that's just kind of cool in itself. Like they're <laughs> actually a blue crayfish you know it's not just the name so uh but the next thing that uh our listeners should probably be aware of is house bill uh 553 which is i'm gonna bring up the actual wording here so i can share with you guys the actual wording of the bill So the actual wording of the bill is a person may take and possess a coyote year round 
and the chief of the division of wildlife shall not adapt any rules to sorry cannot adapt any rules to the contrary a fur taker permit is not required to hunt or trap coyotes which at first glance sounds great you know great for hunters um, right. You know, our, our right. ability to hunt coyotes and um, limit their population year round, um, especially, you know, the, the big concern here is, you know, during fawning season, during turkey poult season, um, that that ability is, you know, going to be protected by new legislation, which is great you know sounds great to begin with right on the surface it sounds yeah very good right but where the but. concern <laughs> comes in uh, jacob do you want to address your concerns um i mean i think it's just in general i think this was introduced or kind of where this house bill came from is based on the response that rightfully so a lot of people gave when they proposed limiting the coyote or what people interpreted as limiting opportunity to hunt coyote and making them a fur taker, therefore protecting them under fur taker rules and guidelines and preventing us from being able to hunt and trap coyote during the most effective time, which would be the fawning season or the poult season. Right, their most effective uh, time to help protect... To help the wildlife, right, which is why the majority of us hunt and want to keep the coyote population in check because we feel like it's damaging our deer population, turkey population, which it's been proven that coyotes do eat fawns and, I mean, heck, they even eat full-size deer. Um, you know, it just kind of depends on the situations, but... So a lot of people perceive that as very bad and rightfully so spoke their voice. So they ended up tabling that and not including that. So I think this house bill kind of came um, out of that as a response to that, which right. is fine. But like Jeff was saying, if you read into it, um, there is some areas of concern. Um, the most glaring area at least for me is you're kind of taking the whole north american model as you would say i guess or it puts you know these wildlife decisions in the hands of scientists who have the information to make the decision um, that's kind of the way that it's designed and set up and it's worked for a lot of years um, they put a lot of time and energy and science into making their decisions. So the fact that this now would take the science out of it and just make a broad stroke rule, I don't, that's a slippery slope. Right. Yeah. I see it. I, I feel that this, you know, legislation was introduced with all the best of intentions. Um, it was, introduced to protect hunters and protect hunter rights um but yeah we're limiting the the power of 
the Division of Wildlife to to do their the job that they are you know their mission that they are assigned um, and taking their power away is yes a scary a scary idea you know it it sort of takes wildlife conservation and really brings it into a political issue um which i don't think any of us really want right yeah and i'm trying to skim through this whole bill here um quickly because i haven't actually read the whole thing but it actually includes a lot of stuff um i mean i think the intent of it is is to kind of line up the administrative code with the revised code right um however like you said it's great intentions but um it becomes a very slippery slope when we start regulating our wildlife with politics and right. not science. So right. it sets a precedent that concerns me. Right. Um, that's kind of the biggest thing is I, I, I like the intent. I like the idea, but there needs to be more clarification as to how and why bag limits and seasons are put into place. You know what I mean? It kind of takes all of that away and just makes it black and white. This is the law. Right. And, and the other thing that makes me concerned sort of about this is, yes, uh, you know, wildlife rules are much easier, much more flexible than laws are. You know, so if if we did get into a situation where, you know, a disease hit the coyote population and you know they're they're all dying off you know something similar to like white nose syndrome in bats or cwd for deer um that's something if 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 a disease like that hit the coyote population that is something that the odnr could easily adjust for and pull back on you know the harvest and to try to save or right. protect the population. Right. Um, when it when it becomes legislation like this and law like this, laws historically are are hard to change. There, it's hard to to pass new legislation. I mean, it that's our political system was kind of designed for it to be a little bit difficult to make a new law just to give us time to kind of mull over what we're trying to decide. But when a, a species, you know, survival depends on it, it, sometimes you don't have time to spare. Right. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I would just recommend everybody. I mean, I just quickly Googled it. I mean, you can look it up and get the actual the whole bill text it's very easy to pull up um read through it and just kind of think outside of the box about it um it's not as easy as you know in there there is a line that says the hunting and trapping of a coyote does not require a fur taker's permit 
okay, but what does that, you know, you have to think about it from the other side. Like, what does that mean and why is that a problem? And could that be a problem in the future? Um, you know, I mean, there's a lot of, like we're saying, there's a lot of nuances to these things, which is why the, you know, the Division of Wildlife, ODNR, they use scientists, population surveys. I mean, they put a lot of science and a lot of effort and thought into these decisions. Right. And, and another I, thing is that the reason that they were looking to require a fur takers permit to trap coyotes was in in essence to protect hunters because the ODNR was starting to get a lot of reports of uh, people non-intended catch in coyote snares and coyote traps so they felt educating those the coyote hunters on uh proper and safe trapping would would help reduce these unintended catches and reduce the the poor image um that hunters were getting so legislation you know making it so that they can't enact rules to uh, help protect hunting's image is can be dangerous Um, because the ODNR, they really do want to protect hunting in Ohio um, because it's, it's their main source of revenue for conservation. So they, they really want to protect hunting's, you know, hunters' rights right. and the the image of hunting in Ohio. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of those, like you said, it's no matter how you slice it, however, what angle you want to look at it from, uh, the ODNR does not exist nearly in the capacity that it is now without hunting. I mean, we, and fishing, I mean, fishing up on Lake Erie is big business too, but um, hunting in this state drives the entire ODNR. And that's, I would say that's probably similar in most states. I mean, the hunting, the licenses, the tags. Right, and hunting and fishing, yeah. And fishing. Right. You know, some states do require, um, you know, licensing for uh like hiking and stuff and you know those states are probably generating some revenue from that um but it's probably pretty minimal in compared to the revenue that they're generating from hunting and fishing right but yeah i think uh those are all the the news topics ohio outdoor news topics that uh, we wanted to bring you up on speed, up to speed about and discuss and sort of let you guys know what's going on. If, if you are interested in learning a little bit more about uh, how House Bill 553, um, our friends over at uh, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, um, they, they did uh, compose a letter um, to legislators to 
uh, the legislature, um, explaining their concerns about how this could affect conservation. Um, so if you're interested in uh, reading a little bit more, um, you can go over uh, to their uh, social media sites and uh, they have links to that. Um, it should be pretty easy to find, you know, just scroll through their posts. Um, they're not super post happy, so uh, you should probably be able to find it pretty easily. And with that, Jacob, unless you have anything else to discuss, I think we'll sign off. Uh, yeah, I don't think I do. I think uh, just, I guess, like I said, do your research, look into it. Um, you know, don't take what we're saying as the Bible truth. We're just giving our kind of opinion, but we want to kind of propose where we see there being some issues and kind of food for thought as to maybe we should look into this a little more and not just say, I like to shoot coyotes. Coyotes eat my deer. So any bill that says I can do that, I'm saying yes to. Right. There's more right. involved. Um, that could be very damaging in the future. Right. You know, and like I said, it's a big thing for me as a precedent. You know, I don't foresee in my, but who knows? I mean, we just had a global pandemic that I didn't foresee right. in my lifetime either. Um, but you know what I mean? It, I don't foresee that coyote population ever needing help but right you never know i mean something could happen and at that point i know a lot of guys are going to say oh let them all die but that's not i mean if you're a true conservationist then that's really not the right answer i mean it's a coyotes are a species that should be protected and kept on this you know in this country at least you know what i mean so it they have a place along everything, along with everything else. Right. That's going to be it for this week. I'll keep it short and sweet. As always, I encourage you to subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Send us a message. Send us a comment. Send us a picture. Whatever it is, we like hearing from you. So that's going to be it. And we will talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.